So, Lord, we are very grateful for the gift that Kathy is to us, the gift that she is to you, the gift that she is to your kingdom message. Thank you for her faithfulness in being a person that represents your ministry of reconciliation well. Uh, thank you for the ways that she's influenced uh, us as a family and us as a community. And we pray, O oh Lord, for your just your blessing upon her as she teaches today, that we would really be listeners, that we would learn, and that we would join in what you're doing in our world. In your name, amen. Thank you. Well, it is a pleasure to look out and see a lot of faces that I'm so glad to see after one year away. It is always a delight to come home. Number one, I have to pick up a new Texas accent because you can't live without it, you know, and I'll lose my identity otherwise. So it's not quite there, but in two months from now, I can go back to London and sound much more Texan than I do today, although they think I sound Texan most of the time, but they don't really know what it sounds like. And so I just, this has been a year of amazing blessing, and for those that don't know me, I just welcome you into this journey of crazy people that I know from around the globe and, and the work that we do. Um, I don't think I ever would have imagined when I left for YWAM in 1991 that somewhere along the, the way I would be doing what I was doing. And for those who don't know my past, I came out of a teaching background and I loved working in Austin and other places where I had a very multicultural classroom. And really, God said to me, I'm just moving your classroom. And he really has. And it's become more multicultural as we've gone along. The pictures in the background as we move along, I'll explain a little bit of what you're seeing. But I wanted to do it out of the context of Scripture. And a few weeks ago, a friend of mine who she and her husband and their children and I are every week meeting together for like a home group, but we call it Simple Church. And we eat together, and the children, we all talk about what's been happening during the week. And, and during that week, we've read a book of the Bible, and then we just kind of share. The kids go off to do what they're going to do, and the three of us sit and share our week through the Scripture and then pray for each other. And it's been just really encouraging. Well, the husband was gone, and Tamara and I decided that we would read Philemon. It was short, one page. That'll be easy to cover. And as I read it that week, I thought, oh my goodness, I've read this letter many times, but I don't think I've ever actually thought about it. And the core of what the School of Reconciliation and Justice is about, really, and the core of the gospel is so much painted in this picture in Philemon. And so I want to talk you through that scripture and then tell you a little bit of the life that we lead in my region of the world. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read out of the message and just make a few points as we go through this wonderful, wonderful scripture. I, Paul, am a prisoner for the sake of Christ, here with my brother Timothy. I write this letter to you, Philemon, my good friend and companion in this work. Also to our sister Aphia, to Archippus, a real trooper, and to the church that meets in your house. God's best to you, Christ's blessings on you. Now, I want you to just stop for a second. I've been in Africa, so we have to join in and say something. So would you say to your neighbor, God's best to you, Christ's blessings on you? Say it once or twice. I kind of like that. And then we could, if we were in Rwanda, say hallelujah, amen. (laughs) Every time your name comes up in my prayers, I say, oh, thank God. 
I keep hearing of the love and faith you have for the Master Jesus, which brims over to other Christians. And I keep praying that this faith we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things we do and that people recognize Christ in all of it. Friends, you have no idea how good your love makes me feel, doubly so when I see your hospitality to fellow believers. I would say to you all, I hear rumors and stories and all sorts of things through the year of the good things that go on in this place. I really enjoy hearing from Scott and Susan and and just a a snippet of what is going on. So you can kind of know that that is that sense of we're hearing about the good things Christ is doing amongst us. And Philemon, as the head of this house church at that time, would have been the only kind of churches. They would have all been in people's homes. And this gentleman has a house church. We don't know how large, but we do know in history he did become the bishop in his area. Still, without a major church, it was house church type of setting. And under the Roman Empire. And so this man probably had a home large enough to be able to keep extending the walls out where the people could gather. And Paul loves this man. And Paul's in prison in Rome and, and suffering there because he chose to go that way to show the gospel to the Romans. And so he's praying for them, and he's really excited. And he sent this letter with someone that we're going to meet in the next part of the letter. In line with all of this, I have a favor to ask of you. This would be a favor I might ask of someone. And it sounds so good until we get to the punchline. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it necessary. But I'd rather make it a personal request. While here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak. And here he is, hand-carrying this letter. So just imagine the gentleman that has brought this, Onesimus, is standing outside. The letter's brought in, but he's outside waiting to see what the reaction to this letter is going to be. He was useless to you before. Now he's useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, but it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. I wanted in the worst way to keep him here as your stand-in, to help out while I was in jail for the message. But he didn't want to do anything behind your back, make you do a good deed that you hadn't... I didn't want to do anything behind your back and make you do a good deed that you hadn't willingly agreed to. Maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while. This is a euphemism for he ran away. You're getting him back now for good and no mere slave this time, but a true Christian brother. That's what he was to me. He'll be even more than that to you. So if you still consider me a comrade in arms, welcome him back as you would me. If he damaged anything or owes you anything, chuck it up to my account. This is my personal signature, Paul, and I stand behind it. I don't need to remind you, do I, that you owe your very life to me. Do me this big favor, friend. You'll be doing it for Christ, but it will also do your heart good. I know you well enough to know you will. You'll probably go far beyond what I've written. And by the way, get the room ready for me. Because of your prayers, I fully expect to be your guest again. Euphrates, my cellmate in the cause of Christ, says hello. 
Also, my co-workers, Mark, Eritakas, Demas, and Luke, all the best to you from the Master, Jesus Christ. English have a phrase that is, uh, when you see somebody do something that's quite bold, they'll say, he's really cheeky. This is a cheeky letter from Paul. The, the scenario, if you didn't catch it, is this man has run away from Philemon. He was a slave, and under Roman law, he had every right, when he caught him, to kill him. Or he could torture him, or he could um, mark him with an R for runaway slave. He was totally under the control of the owner. And Paul, we don't know why Onesimus ran to Paul. Maybe he had met him on one of his journeys, but he runs to him. And in running to him, this man becomes a believer. And so we don't know how much time has passed by that the man has been discipled, but Paul is now recommending, I'm sending him back to you. Now, I would have loved to have seen Philemon's face because we don't know. What did he do? Did he steal from him? Paul seems to hint at that, that there's some kind of debt that needs to be repaid. Did he offend him? You know, a slave in those days could do everything from being the manager of your household and quite close to the owner to being just a lowly house servant. I would guess he wasn't the lowest of the low because somehow Paul's recommending him at a level that sounds like there was relationship. So the story is around this incredible sense of You know, once this guy, you saw him as useless. Now, through Christ, he's coming back to you, useful to both of us. And not only as a slave, he has now crashed through the barrier of class divisions, and he's going to be your brother. Now, that's a startling gospel story, isn't it? Just the beauty of it. And really, the core of the school and the reconciliation journeys that we go on to the Middle East and the the message of apology, it's in that same light of something has been lost because of sin and brokenness. And out of that sinfulness and out of turning to Jesus and finding who he is, restitution can be made and restoration of relationship can begin. And a new order is put into being. Because God is cutting across all those things that we as people want to do. Every one of us want to make layers of things from bottom to top and all of that stuff that society builds up. But the gospel cuts across all of it. And he calls us from all these different levels of society. He calls us from all um, countries and brings that gigantic diversity and says, okay, now live together in peace. You think, ah, how do we do that? So that's what we're about within the three months of the school and then the internships that students go through is how do you do that? And for these students, a lot of times they're doing it in a region at war. Like my young men that are home now in northern Nigeria, for Sudangi to live in a neighborhood where people have recently been killed and he's trying to teach in the church, this is the way to live. Retribution And vengeance will not save our lives. But how do we do it without getting ourselves killed again and again and again? It's incredibly stretching to think God's love is that large. But he he is. And so that story of that circle of Philemon, I would guess, had to stand there and decide to live out of his best self. That's what Paul is pointing to. Remember who you are. Remember who I know you to be. This is who I want you to now be. So he must know there's 
pretty much an offense, and that this man coming back in needs to be forgiven, but also the one that was offended needs to forgive and embrace the one that was lost. And that's what the cross is. It embraces us and pulls us back in. And in the meantime, if there was money stolen, which could have been, Paul's saying, you know, I will give it back to you. Same thing that God does. He gives it back. You know, it's an incredible package. And that restitution part, when we were in Burundi and Rwanda this year, and I'd talk about reconciliation, and Scott and Susan came to be with us, what was really interesting was people were quite perked up when you said, well, part of reconciliation is justice. God is not going to ignore the injustices that happen to our lives. And they would just be like, oh, we've not talked about that part of reconciliation. And suddenly it's a whole new page about there's something that we do that helps make relationship right again. So all of that is part of the message. And I thought Philemon really challenges me. We, we talked that evening about, do I really want to live like this? Or, or was it just a cheeky message? And it was like, now this is really what God asks of us. And I know we all have people day in and day out that grind on us, so we don't understand. And we're trying to figure out how do I reach out to them. Come back to Philemon and think. Put yourself in his shoes and think, how would I have responded to this man? So my students come in from this last school. We really were in the midst of Nigeria for most of the school. There were eight students, and I had not only northern Nigerians this time, I had students who came from the south, where Scott may have told you, but the, the oil industry has absolutely decimated their environment. So there's a lot of terrorism or militancy there because of their living conditions. And them trying to figure out what would be a good solution to train the church in of how do we respond to this injustice. But also I had a gentleman from Bangladesh that he worked on his project of how does he bring prisoners out of prison and the lower caste, how does he help them come into society? How does he teach people in a caste-ridden society to embrace those they feel like are untouchables? But oh my goodness. And he was going to do it through vocational training and all sorts of different programs that would give them tools to impact society. But I also had a young man and his wife from Armenia, and their, their desire was to help first help Armenians begin to deal with the unforgiveness that's century old from that region? And then how do we reach out to our neighbors that are different than us? And a wonderful young woman from um, Brazil who is a lawyer. And the, the, the width of difference between the wealthy class, the upper middle class, and the poor is huge in Brazil. It's one of the most power-packed economies in the world, but it's only making that divide bigger. So she has a dream to begin to, as a lawyer, help with conflict mediation for the poor, because lawyers want to work with the wealthy and get paid. They don't have any pro bono type of work. And so she came to the school to see if she could pick up tools to be able to use in that setting. So each one that comes is absolutely unique in what their vision is and what they want to put into life. So for the last eight years, I've lived at a wonderful place in Harpenden, which is, in English terms, a posh town. We're 30 minutes north of London, 
beautiful setting, very aesthetically gorgeous when you look at it. And the oval is a, like a small campus. It looks like a university campus. But my heart has been drawn back to, let's move, let's move, let's move. When I designed the school, I was living in Beirut, and I lived in a neighborhood full of diversity. And my favorite part was talking to everybody every day, just as my neighbors. So over the last, really the last two years, I've been getting itchier and itchy about, I think it's time to go. I think it's time to go. So the, the nearest town to us is one of the most multi, multicultural towns in England. In general, England percentage-wise is 84 to 85% white British. And there's other nationalities that are British, but the white population is about 84%. Luton, like London, is more like 50% white, 50% other. And so when you walk into Luton, it is a diversity of faces from all over the globe, all over the globe. And it's a small town, and it has a university there that um, is a gateway for a lot of Chinese coming from mainline China to study, and, and a very active chaplaincy that ministers to a lot of students' needs. And this little town is where we've been working for several years, but it began to be more and more evident this is where we're going. And so this spring, what you're seeing pictures of are some of the projects we've been being involved in. Um, Luton has gotten a bad rap in the press. I don't know, Scott has probably said a few things to you all, but the, the amount of stereotyping of the Muslim population around the globe and there are many things going wrong with the Muslim in some areas of the world, but not everywhere. But the demonizing of everybody is a bit scary. The closest we could relate it to is actually the demonizing of the Jews before World War II. And if you start tracing stories you read in the newspaper, you often find there's absolutely not a trace of truth to them. Luton is one of those places. Unfortunately for them, in... July of 2007, the young men that went to London to set off bombs in the uh, underground did not come from Luton. They came from up north, but they got on the train in Luton. And, and so they somehow became responsible, even though they're just a train stop on the way to the city. But the town itself has an incredible cohesive networking through the Council of Faith. And the Council of Faith is all of the churches and all of the mosques, all of the Sikh temples, all of the Hindu temples, the Jewish synagogue and the Zoroastrians, the Baha'i and several others I could name. Uh, and they have this council of faith, not to sit down and discuss their faith, but as my intern that was working with an organization called Grassroots said, they actually sit there and talk about how we're gonna solve our neighborhood problems. That's their whole focus is to help the city run well. And we're talking about mm, probably 45 to 50,000 people. And it's a poor town. It's a working class town. And because it's working class, right now in the economy, it's a very endangered class of people. And especially for the white population of the city, they often feel they're endangered the most because they feel like our life expectancies and jobs aren't as high as they should be, our opportunities aren't as high. There's an underclass that have not been employed, sometimes generationally. So a lot of things that need to be worked on. 
This is where God is taking us. And um, we got involved this spring because the, there's a group called the English Defense League. And they're a group that originated in Luton. They're all white. And their message is, we're taking back England for the English. Now, the only thing wrong with that statement is, except for a very tiny group of people in England, everybody came from somebody place else. They all immigrated to the islands and took over. So it's kind of hard to figure out, if everybody's supposed to leave, who's going to stay here? But we can all get caught up in this message. But their message is full of hate, it's full of racism, and very fascist in nature. And they decided three years ago they would target Luton as a case study in how to cause trouble, like in Belfast, where you ended up with fighting between Catholics and Protestants. The reaction of the church has been to do what you're seeing on the board. And this year, the first event was for people to come together with all the faiths, and the pictures where we're holding the placards, I got a phone call, and Johnny asked, Kathy, would you be willing to make 50 placards? First of all, I had to learn what is a placard, because that's a British word we don't use. And, but those little signs that we're holding, he wanted to know, could you make these signs for us? And I thought, the school had just ended, everybody's gone. I bet I can find somebody to help me make placards. So you see Fidel on the floor. He did all the hard labor of stapling things together. The young man doing that, Fidel is from Rwanda, and he just returned home after two years with us. And he was down on the floor, and he'd been, oh, I think we were about halfway through stapling, and he looks up with, at my face and goes, I'm just realizing this is the gospel. I'm, I'm stapling the words of the gospel here. And I was just shocked at his, his statement. Because as, you, as we took them to Berry Park, which is the center of the Pakistani Bangladeshi community, really. Now it's being filled with a lot of Polish Catholics as well, but generally it's very Muslim-oriented. We stood with those placards in the rain about a month before the EDL march was scheduled to just say, we're standing here to proclaim this is a great place to live. We like the diversity, we want the diversity, we want the discussion of different faiths together, and please support this. And actually, for the first time, the press came and they wrote really good articles. We stood in the rain, and as you stood with your umbrella and your placard trying to hold together, I watched people's faces on the bus, and they lit up with hope. I just couldn't believe these tired faces looking at, out the bus windows like, what are they doing? And all of a sudden, they would light up with this wonderful, surprise smile. And a friend of mine, Pete Adams, that works in the town, his words for it is waging peace in the name of Jesus. As a Christian, I'm waging peace. So we did that event, and then the night before the march, we held another event, which is at St. Mary's Church. And we spent the afternoon blowing up balloons, and Solomon is the one you see blowing up balloons. He's going home this Tuesday, his area is really in the midst of turmoil at the moment. And he's going back with hope that somehow him going home with the keys he's been given, he can make a difference. But this togetherness, we stood at the gates of the church. And I would have to say, I've never experienced such a beautiful image of the church opening its arms and saying, come in, as watching these very calm, quiet British people come in the gates 
And, and we were giving them balloons to hold for the rally, and then we were giving them a placard to hold, and of all shapes and sizes, all different face, and, and people were picky about what color balloon they wanted to hold. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe it. But we're right in the town center with all of these different signs, and one of the pictures, you may not be able to tell, but on one of the, in the middle of the churchyard, which is the graveyard of the ancient church, this church is the parish church, it's huge, is the cross. And I thought, what a beautiful symbol of we're calling the community in to say, we do not want violence. We do not want violence in our community. We want peace. We want people's children to feel safe here. We want a future for all of them and an opportunity to know there is good news from the kingdom of heaven. And so everyone represents himself. So voices from many different faiths stood up. The best speaker I thought of that, that afternoon is an Afro-Caribbean pastor that just had such words of love for the city. That no matter what you say of us, no one even believed anything good could come out of Galilee either. And look who came out of Galilee. And so I, it, Luton has a sense of God is stirring something there that can be a message to other people of hope. So this is my team on the day of the march, Henry and Solomon and Ashley and I, the two northern Nigerians and the two Americans. Our task was to wander behind. There were two marches on the same day. One was the English Defense League marching for their rights and their rights for this and right for that and exiling all, everybody they don't include in their group. And then we had a group called United Against Fascism, and we were following this group. And they're kind of like a countermarch. The sad thing is, on both sides, the signs were equally not very nice. You thought, I think there's a third way to do this. It's not quite so banish this, beat this, squash this, and, and, and come together to understand. And the third way were the community workers from the different faith communities who walked alongside and talked to people, engaged them in conversation about what are your expectations for Luton? What are your hopes? What are the things that are disappointing you that you feel like you've got a crusade to make something happen like this? For my two Nigerian friends I walked with, the biggest thing they got out of the march was they'd never seen organized police before. Because they said in their area, when the police come, things get even worse because they're corrupt. So it was a wonderful example of the organized policing. It only cost a million pounds. That's one and a half million dollars to make it a safe day for the community. In, a, in an economy that is really hurting, that is really painful. But the hope is that as the town takes a stand and says no, that gradually this is going to fade away. And other venues of being able to build community, work on what are the problems in the town, will happen. So this is just a little bit of what it looks like. The neighborhoods we've been looking at, homes are kind of like row homes. They're called terrace homes. So we're looking for a home in which Nanzip, who's from northern Nigeria and has been with me for two years, Yan Yan, who's been with me since 2006, uh, who's from Hong Kong, the three of us would first settle and then we'd bring in the school and live there and start our own office. And, um, and using our title, The Reconciliation Walk, we want to be part of the hope that the church brings in the city. And networking <laughs> with different groups 
be able to engage in ordinary conversations day in and day out, like each and every one of us do. And so we want to be able to have open doors. This park is right across the street from one of the areas I like the most. And Nanzip was looking for a park. I was looking for a house. But the park is full of children from every nation under the sun. And it's fairly low income. It's not so, so poor that it's very difficult. But it's poor. So that's where we're headed. And I would just ask for your prayers that... We want to be able to engage in Philemon's stories day in and day out. Um, To have people come from nations where they need to go home equipped and we feel like working with them in in the town, they'll get a lot of experience working with people in different venues, seeing how you overcome injustices, how you overcome poverty. How does the government work in the UK different than what their countries do? And this is Nanzip, who's going to be a valuable member of the, the team. And hopefully, we'll continue to see fruitfulness from all that we're doing. And I, my beginning picture, Yan Yin, has a Chinese fellowship at the university that nearly every Chinese student that comes is an atheist, having grown up in a communist country. And to see the fruitfulness of their lives coming to know Jesus and, and watch her pastor it is just fantastic. But the chaplaincy is also very multi-faith, so you've got all sorts of dynamics to work with students. So we need your prayers. We really need your prayers, your encouragement. And just to continue with us on this journey, we hope to go back to Burundi, hope to be able to go back to the Middle East this year, but we'll see which way we're going. It's enough just to move house at the moment. But I want to see God continue to bring the kind of people he's brought that can bring the kingdom of God and can bring restoration to very hurting communities. So when you think about us, think about us and look around because we're a lot like you. Very diverse, a little crazy, and very much in love with Jesus. And so I wanted to ask you all to stand and just let me pray for that to continue to grow in our midst because we need this message of love in the world we're living today. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you just as we look at Philemon and see the challenge to an individual's life to receive back someone that wounded them, hurt them, and stole from them, but receiving them back in a new way. Lord, we want to be those agents of reconciliation. We want to be those arms that embrace others and welcome others into our midst because your kingdom is immense and your love for each and every human being is beyond incredible. And so I ask, Lord, that this wonderful congregation that is so full of hopes and dreams and everyday life, that, Lord, empower us to live your life each and every day and to overcome the challenges that come our way. Help us to do the impossible in each and every step. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I'll say farewell. I'm going to have Kathy stand over on this side of the room, please. Uh, You may want to greet her. You may want to ask her some questions. You know, I I want Kathy to come and share with us in these ways because she really illustrates what, what is when the Bible's talking about the ministry of reconciliation, what does that look like? And I believe that 
what she does is one of the expressions of that in the world. And I think that we as a local community of people following Jesus, we need to see how that's working because as we see how it's working other places, obviously we can begin to do similar things uh, in our city, in our state, in our nation. Some of us uh, may have some real uh, questions about, well, how does like a council of faith work? I mean, how does that work? I mean, how do, how do you get a Christian and a Muslim and a Jew and some of us have seen the bumper stickers, you know, coexist. And, you know, we, we, th- we think of that. I've been brought up to think, well, that must just like water down everybody's message. But the point is it doesn't water down everybody's message. I want to give you one illustration, and then we'll go. Uh, I went to the Treehouse, which is a chaplaincy on a secular university. An Anglican uh, pastor is there. And he's there to uh, welcome everybody and to share Jesus with everybody. And the night that I went, one of the nights, I've been there several times, but one of the nights I was there, they were showing a Rob Bell uh, video. If you know about Rob Bell, he's part of the emergent church movement, uh, very centered on Jesus. And the, the video uh, was about silence. And in, in, what do you hear in the midst of silence? And we watched that. And the point was we, we can hear God if we, if we get quiet. And there was this discussion, and everybody can contribute in it from their perspective. So this Indian guy says, I know what it was about. It's about noise pollution, noise pollution. And he just went off about, you know, my cell phone, my cell phone doesn't ring loud. It's noise pollution. When I'm driving my car in Delhi, it's not, the, the radio is not loud. It's noise pollution. He just went off, totally missed the point of Rob Bell's video. But when he was done, the guy that was hosting, okay, let's give, let's give a round of applause to whoever this guy was. Everybody's affirmed. No, but he wasn't correct. You know, you really missed the point of Rob Bell's. No, he got to, you know, and it was just, that was an interesting perspective. So life can really be fun when we get in the same room with people of different face, people of different color, people of different nationalities, and we can have conversation. It doesn't mean that I, don't be, I, that I believe less in Jesus. And, and when I become a friend of someone, I can tell them my story. And so what a, what a great way to live. So you may want to ask Kathy how she lives that out because uh, that's what she gets to do. And I think she, repre- she represents Jesus well. And I hope we can be equipped to do that in our communities as well. So thanks for our time together. God bless. And uh, I hope the day is great. See you later.